When you look at the word or the term power, what is it that you think of when you hear the word power? You know, it's really something that everyone seems to want something out of that word. But unfortunately, that word has a very black or a very white meaning to it. Because there's always types of power that are, that are used very mightily and abused very mightily. Well, what I want to do is introduce you to something powerful today, which is chapter 15 of Luke. Because when there's power involving the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and His Word, that is a power that we want. That is a power that we want to be a part of. Like I said, everybody wants power of sorts. It could be power from a physical standpoint. It could be power within a corporate setting. It could be power within a family. It could be within a dictative demeanor, unfortunately. Some people want to be in the spotlight. Some people always want to be in charge or have to be in charge. But there's also a sense of power that people long for, which is in the power of that of light. Or the power that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. And, and the question is, is what kind of power do you want in your life? You know, we all want, we should all want the power of God. Well, the power of God comes through His Word, and the power of God comes through the plumb line of prayer. And, and again, today, we're going to be looking at a powerful chapter of chapter 15 of Luke, in the parable of things that are lost. If you've ever been lost before, maybe as a child... And you can remember that feeling. Maybe you've lost your child. Maybe you've lost an item. Someone dear to you. Well, the Lord is going to cover some, some things of that that are, they get lost and found. And I gotta tell you, it was a powerful chapter. See, again, when I think of the word power, I want to think of the one, the power that's, that's coming from the Lord. I want to think of the power that comes from His Word, from, a, from the Holy Spirit, from prayer. Because I've said before, who God appoints, God anoints. He gives the power. But again, the Word is where the power lies. And, and when you connect... To a source that, that provides power, well, then the power will always be within you as you've connected to the source. I'm not an electrician. I, I know very little about how electricity works. I know that when you flip on a switch and within a matter of seconds, that, that power comes on. And the only reason that happens is because the wire is connected to the source. And when, and when your power does not go on and you are in utter darkness in your home or wherever you might be, there's two reasons for it. You either didn't pay the bill or somebody shut it off because of that. Number two, you might have a wire loose somewhere to the source. And so when we look at the, the essence and the, and, and the outlook of power, how connected are you to the source? See, we could know all about electricity. We could know all about doctrine. 
We can know all about many things, which is wonderful. It's good to know those things because, see, messing with electricity and, and messing with doctrine can be very similar to each other because you can get shocked somewhere down the line pretty bad when you cross wires. And I want to take a look today at this wonderful chapter in the outlook of, of three powerful parables that we're going to see today that our wires will not get crossed with, but that our wires will connect to the source of our Lord and Savior who delivers the power and the light into our lives. May this bring light into you as it did with me. I'm telling you, it was a wonderful chapter. Every chapter is wonderful, but there are certain ones that we can all really relate to. Let's take a look here, and we're going to be looking at chapter, uh, again, chapter 15, and I'm going to start us off in verse 1 through 7, which is the parable of the lost sheep. And it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep? If he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Again, this is going to be a joy to teach because if you've ever lost something so important to you and then to have found it, you know, that priceless heirloom, that, that precious commodity, and to have that what is precious to you back in your hand is actually one of the greatest feelings one could have. You know, see, Jesus uses the parable of a lost sheep because a shepherd's passion and his calling is in the care and guidance of a sheep herd. And if there is something that a Pharisee would not do in a career, it was that of a sheep herder. Why? Because they were low on the, on the totem pole of occupations, if you will. They were low on the pole of occupations. Jesus hangs out with sinners. Well, yes, he did. He hung out and ate with the Pharisees as well, though. He, he was being with tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, okay? And, and tax collectors ripped people off. Prostitutes led people away from their moral integrity. And lepers could spread the disease if touched by somebody. And yet the, the Pharisees were no better. Why? Because they ripped people off from the truth of God and His grace and mercy, they prostituted themselves with their own laws and rules, which God did not command, and then they spread spiritual leprosy to anyone who touched them. And, and then had to live in a colony of Pharisees, like a leper colony in caves outside of the cities. The Pharisees had to live within their own sect. See, Christ the Good Shepherd would spend time with that one person, with the heart and desire to save and go after that one lost person. And a true shepherd did that with one sheep that strayed away. You know, it may seem foolish to go after one when 99 out of the out of the 100 are staying on course. But, you know, a shepherd who knows his sheep and cares for them, for them all, will go after the one. He does it knowing that the other 99 are safe in the sheepfold. And the Lord may be speaking in parables, but it was a way of painting a picture 
we can read the scripture and ask every single time, what does that look like? And he was showing us that we can understand a God who could and would forgive sinners who come to him. But, but that God actually will seek out a lost sinner as well and brings them into his presence with joy and gladness, which is beyond our love. It's his abounding and unconditional love. See, I, I love the paintings from certain artists that we've seen of, of the Lord or something from a, a biblical uh, painting. And one of my favorites is, is the one with the Lord walking with a little child holding his or her hand. And, and in that picture, they're walking through a meadow and, and next to a, a lightly flowing stream. And again, that picture was worth a thousand words. Psalm 23, a well-known psalm of the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. And this was actually written by Israel's greatest king, King David. King David was a shepherd before he became a king. But see, King David also always recognized himself as one of God's sheep, who at the time even strayed away himself. See, God is not normally always concerned about a testimony. He will use it. But everyone who receives Christ, every person that receives the Lord, gets celebrated in heaven, as he said. An equal form of singing and celebration for one person, regardless of their testimony. Has a party thrown in them for heaven that they can't see or hear on earth. But the Lord made it known that whenever somebody receives him... Man, all of heaven's rejoicing over that one person. And it doesn't matter how good or bad they were because a soul to be saved is a soul to be saved. It didn't matter to the Lord what you were doing. It didn't matter to Him what you know your background was. I mean, it did matter to Him what you were doing, but it matters more so now that you've received Him. But He doesn't, he doesn't get impressed with those things. A lot of people get impressed with a crazy um, a testimony, and God definitely uses them. But God's more concerned about you, first and foremost, coming to him. And therefore, the party begins in the heavenly realms. 8 through 10, it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the place where I lost, which I lost, the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, I'll always remember what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, you know, where your treasure is, is where your heart will be also. And what the Lord was explaining was, in the form of the culture uh, there in the ancient Near East, the coins were worn on the head of a Jewish woman on a string. It was actually part of the wedding wear. Kind of like how a lot of our women's wedding dresses have veils. Back then in this time, they would wear the jewels, or the, uh, uh, the coins on a string on their head. And it, it was, it, it was the mark of a, normally the mark of a married woman. And, and, other nearby cultures, ten coins were actually given to a woman as gifts. It's comparison to our day um, as the wedding ring would be. The, the sentimental and spiritual value versus the net worth of the object. 
And looking at this parable, it could be taken as the loss of money that we've seen people tossing over furniture when their money escaped their possession. (laughs) You know, have you ever misplaced your wedding ring before? Or perhaps maybe a family heirloom of sorts. You can remember the adrenaline and the fear and the anxiety. And that was actually due to true care because you lost something dear to you versus just another object. And when that has happened and she found the ring or the object, she's calling her friends and she's rejoicing with them all. And this was another parable used in comparison to the things that happen in life. And on an ongoing basis, actually. The Lord said that she lit a lamp and she swept the house. And the reason why the coin was found was because there was light in the house. And and where there is light, things that are lost can easily be found. This parable was like the others, okay? The importance of finding what is precious to you and then rejoicing about it. Again, we must remember that when when one unsaved person repents, all of heaven rejoices. He made it known again in the second parable. But the Lord, he grieves the lost, but rejoices in those who were found. Everyone, every individual is precious to God. And we hear that that heaven, you know, the, the angels are rejoicing. Could you imagine the sound of that? Now, I'm not sure how God celebrates himself. But I want to know. I'd love to see that. The only way that can be done is to be in his presence to see it. Just knowing he is pleased. That that maybe he simply smiles at us is actually good enough for me. But of all the things, he rejoices simply in the homecoming of a lost son or daughter. And, and he continues as we will see the what I'd like to call the apex of this particular um, parable in verse 11 through 24. Then it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with his prodigal living. But when he had spent all there, and arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Man, this is the, the well-known prodigal son story. Uh, and which is why I call it the, the apex of, of the lost parables is because we were the apex of God's creation, being that of, of humankind, of, of children of His. And out of the last two parables of the lot, of the things lost, which would be the sheep, the lost coin, and the Lord now speaks of that, that apex parable, the lost son, the lost person. And in the story that the Lord gives, he speaks about a younger son who asks for his inheritance. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, it speaks of how an inheritance was to be given. As the younger son, he would, uh, he would get a third of the estate because the older, the older would get uh, two-thirds. And typically when the father died is when it would happen. But there were cases where they would give it before death. And the, the, the sons could actually manage the estate if the father couldn't actually take care of it anymore. There were certain circumstances that could be done and rules that were done throughout the Torah. And, and this was one of those. Well, okay, you want it? You got it, he said. He took it and he squandered it off. And, and so bad that he, he was living in the lowest of poverty that could be seen. You know, he wanted his independence. That's what happened. He didn't want to be under the rule and the authority of his father. And perhaps we can remember those days ourselves when we were in our teen years. And some did leave and experience the hardship of what's out there in the world before they were actually prepared and, and found themselves back on the doorstep of their home. Uh, the Lord and his word really shows us the preventative measures to be taken. He didn't want to see anyone suffer or fall, which is why we have the word, which is why he gave us doctrine. And he didn't want us to have to hit rock bottom in order for us to come to him, but he will allow it if, if we show our stubbornness and rebellion to him. You know, we have to remember that parables were life examples to show us the, those things in life that leads us to a divine presence. They, they were not parabolic examples just to teach us a lesson only, but it was a, to allow us to see the big picture that leads us into God's presence. This wasn't just a good story with the typical happy ending. This was true life with a divine work. The lost son who messed up his life, who messed his life up, made it home alive, and the father was overjoyed. I know many in the situation. And, and he was making known the Father's reaction in heaven when someone walked away and came back. Because they recognize that they're lost. They recognize that they're done without him. Just like the sheep who goes astray. See, the sheep are not intelligent. They were very timid without the presence of a shepherd. The sheep do not know how to fight. I don't know if people know this, but sheep have, they do not have a defense fighting mechanism in them. The only thing they do is they're able to run away together in a group. And that's one thing they do is they would stay in a, in a group of a herd and they would actually flee in the group and together would stop and look back to make known that they're watching. But they have no way of defending themselves. It was all done in regards to, in, in the abilities of a shepherd. Sheep will not actually lay down because they're, they, they have a stubbornness about them on top of their lack of intelligence. They're very gentle creatures. And they're very pleasant creatures. 
but they're not smart and they cannot fight. They have to, they, they exist on the reliance of a shepherd. And a sheep will not normally lay down until they know they're safe and normally until they know that the presence of the one watching over them is with them and that is the only time they will actually lay down. In the Lord, the Lord reaches out to find the lost no matter how or why they got lost. Because, why? Because of the Father's abounding love. That is why. Simply because of that. That he would be willing to go out and find them. He does that with us. He allows us to, to experience the things when we choose to walk away. But when we have been given the chance to survive through his graceful hand, then may we not take advantage of it again. I've heard parents in the past say, you know, I'm just, you know, they let their kids go astray and, and, and they say that, uh, well, I'm just letting him work on his testimony or her testimony. And it's just like, well, you may not have the chance because there are people who did not get to speak of a testimony. And, and we need to be sure to be in the confines of prayer and in God's guiding hand. Let's take a look here in, in verse 25 to 32, which says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a, a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that, that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Now I need to remind us again that chapter 15 was 98% the words of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. I pray you've listened closely to what we just read. Sibling rivalry was, you know, around since the beginning of time. Cain and Abel, the first murder on earth due to jealousy. One child was the obedient, hardworking, another was the rebel. And not all are like that, of course, but if, if you have two or more uh, kids, there will be a difference in them. You know, the jealousy of siblings is unfortunately common. Uh, we've heard it. We've heard it all before. Well, they got what they deserve. They fell in the pit, so enjoy the quicksand, right? But when the sibling that got lost and, and did not live to see another chance, and the news came to the siblings, their demeanor went from self-righteousness and, and hard love to grief and sorrow, and then it actually got hit with eventual guilt. See, as a father, you, you want to see the best for your children. But when they're on the verge of death, your, cares, your care goes to saving their lives. See, in the parable, the father was trying to remind the good son, who was, who was bitter, that there should be a celebration. 
Just like that in heaven, when all of heaven and the angels rejoice when someone gives their life to the Lord. They're not up there saying to God, why are we celebrating? Don't you know what they've done? You know, that's what Satan does. He's the accuser of that. But the Lord says, yes, I'm aware. And and they made the decision to not be that anymore. And those people are typically the ones ministering to you as your church leaders, actually. A lot of your church leaders and pastors were those prodigal sons and daughters who were once lost and found and now serving you and the Lord. And, And someone said to me once that I don't have an exciting testimony. And I said, well, when you gave your life to Christ, the singing in heaven was just as loud and glorious as it was when the murdering and robbing tyrant that gave their life to Christ was. God's not impressed with your past. He's impressed with what you're going to do for him with the time that you have. See, God detests the things of our past. We don't need to brag about it. But to brag about how he got us out of the pit is now flourishing by grace. The older son who was harsh toward his brother may not have the life scars, but he definitely has a form of bondage in his life and that of envy, bitterness, probably even self-righteousness. But it's pretty clear that each parable was an example of things that we can relate to. But what they did as parables is exactly what I mentioned, what they were to do. It was to lead you to the divine that leads you to Christ. All three of these parables were direct paths to repentance. And all repentance means is to turn back. That's what it means. Why? Because he has a plan for you. But like the prodigal son, you will have to make the decision to come to the father. Why? Because he's going to be so happy to have you. Uh, you have no idea what I've done. Might be, it might be said, it might be thought. Church I used to attend, my home church back in California. I remember twenty some years ago, and to this day, after every message that's been given. An altar call to receive the Lord as your Lord and Savior was always given. And I have seen anywhere from 1 to 2 to 25 to 30 or more come up. And I didn't get to see what happened in earlier services because the church was pretty large. There were three services in the mornings and one in the su- in Sunday evenings. And then there was one on Wednesday evenings. It seemed that every week... Somebody or or multiple people came up to receive the Lord in the church. And and when they did that, people were clapping. They were celebrating in in, in the crowd because those who had already received the Lord were glad to see those people come up and, and receive Christ. I'll never forget it when I was there. I was I was a senior in high school. And my church was nowhere near my home city. But yet, when I was in the crowd, I saw this young man who was actually a freshman. When I was a senior, he was a freshman. I saw him come up on his own to receive the Lord. And we were in, we were in uh, the locker room together uh, during one of our classes. 
and I came up to him and he was surprised to see me. And I was, it was like, I didn't know you came here. I was like, I, I've been coming here since a child. I'm just glad to see the decision you make. And, and we used to just pass each other up in the locker room, never really said much to each other until that day. And, and that was, a, again, a, a form of now knowing that we were related through Christ, through the Spirit. And whether you were in a crusade, whether you were in a church, whether you're in whatever you're in, you receive the Lord, the angels are praising. If you're listening to this message right now on a voice in the distance, and you are by yourself, and nobody is around you, just you and I saying this prayer together, the Lord and all of heaven is going to rejoice. But I want you to be rejoicing because you now have set your your place in eternity. You out you now have heavenly citizenship if you choose to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Are you lost right now? Maybe maybe you have walked with the Lord and like the sheep you have strayed away. Maybe you never knew the Lord. Maybe you ended up on the site by curiosity. Maybe somebody sent it to you. You might be going through a hard time. You might be going through a good time. It doesn't matter what time you're going through. The time to receive the Lord is now. Because through the best and worst of times, you can die and not make it to heaven. We want to make sure that we have received Him in order to secure heavenly citizenship. But I don't want to just encourage you just to receive the Lord and, and and to walk away thinking like, well, I did what I had to do. No, I want to. This is to receive the Lord and to continue to walk with Him. This is to continue to read His Word. This is to continue to have a relationship with Him and to serve Him in whatever capacity and gift that He has given you. If you have received this message and now you are giving your life to God, I want to congratulate you because now you can re- you can actually relate to the parable of the lost, knowing what it was like to be lost and now found. If you are willing and if you want the Lord in your life, say this prayer right now after me and receive Him. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you that I am a sinner. And Lord, I ask you to receive me. Lord, as I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would have me, Lord, when my time is up. Because I want to thank you for dying for me, Lord. Lord, I believe that you have died for me, which is why I am saying this prayer. And Lord, I receive you now. I ask of you, Lord, to come into my heart as my Father, my Lord and Savior. And Father, I thank you, I love you, and I praise you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, what a blessing it is again, and what a wonderful chapter. Every chapter is wonderful, but again, there are certain ones that just really speak to us, don't they? Well, you may have to revisit this just to stay the course. So again, I invite you always to be a part. And I want you to continue to walk. I want you to continue to hear. 
you know, we're in this together here as we, uh, as we go through these messages at a voice in the distance. And may God bless you richly and your families and your friends. May you be used in all ways. May God bless and keep you.